Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on the day that Rafael Nadal won his eighth French Open title. That's more Grand Slam titles at a single Grand Slam tournament, Catherine, than anybody in history. But more importantly, I was right. Oh, God. Yes, you were right, David. But I'm, I, uh, as, um, as chastened as I am by my, um, my inaccurate predictions, I'm delighted that you were right. I, I'm really chuffed that he's won that eighth title. I think he's as dominant on clay as anyone has ever been on any surface, um, which is quite something. Well, arguably more dominant. I mean, but it is ridiculous. If you think about it, the guy had seven months out of the sport, and he's, I think he's played nine tournaments since then. He's reached nine finals. Nine finals out of nine tournaments played. It is just absurd. But it's, it's, not... it's absurd, Catherine. What are you pausing for? It's absurd. But it's not absurd. It's a, it's a stupendous achievement. It's utterly fantastic um, and not to be underestimated. But it, it's, there's nothing absurd or ridiculous about it because I just don't think he would have come back unless he knew really that he was able to reach the final of every tournament he entered or, or, or win it. So I certainly don't think it's absurd. But in terms of the scale of the achievement, it's... It's as, as big as it gets, I think. That's the annoying thing about Catherine Whitaker. Just when you think you've got her on the back foot, she comes out with an answer that makes sense, and it really annoys me. However, Nadal, in terms of the way he beat Ferrer, I mean, you, you, you've got to say that poor old David Ferrer, I mean, he reaches his first Grand Slam final, and credit to him, you know, he's done everything asked of him. He put everything he could into that final. He just had no answers at all. I mean, the, the, it was, we, we talked about it on the eve, didn't we? We said if they play each other, it, it's like Rafa against Rafa Light, and that's basically how it felt again. Well, I ask you, David, do you think Ferrer walked on the court believing deep down that he could win I think he has to believe that I well, think what he do you mean he has he, I think he, he even, has to to give himself a chance that doesn't mean he did but, but I think he, you would condition yourself to believe head, it you would have condi- think in his heart I, I, I tell you what was very interesting was listening to 
I think it was Pablo Andahar, the, uh, the Spanish player, ranked 45 in the world, came on five live here from the Queen's Club. We're sitting in the press room in the Queen's Club ahead of the Aegon Championships. Pablo Andahar, the compatriot of both Ferrer and Nadal, is in the draw here. And he came live on five live and he, ahead of the match and he said he starts the match believing that he's going to win. And that belief quickly erodes as the match goes on because he starts getting beaten and he starts doing the things that were in his game plan and then the doubts start to creep in. He starts getting beaten whilst playing pretty much his best tennis. That's the problem. That's what absolutely must be confidence decimating because if you know there's nothing more you can do and you're still being crushed, well then, I mean, how can you have confidence really? I mean, it would defy logic to to be confident in that situation so unless you have the I mean uh, there are some there are some people that can defy that logic logic I think probably Maria Sharapova against Serena I I think I I gave her no chance at all um she actually did slightly better than I was anticipating I think she did believe right to the very end that she had a chance but I think she's very much exceptional in that regard um to be playing really well and to be being thumped the way Rafa was with Ferrer today. I mean, I can only sympathise. And he, gosh, he was gracious in defeat. Wasn't I, he? I think you're right there, you know, because that is the, the, the stock phrase of every tennis player, isn't it? If I play my best tennis, I can win. And in all honesty, if Ferrer and Sharapova had played their best tennis, but their opponents played their best tennis, they were not going to win. It's as simple as that, I'm afraid. Well, you said it, yeah, as simple as that. They they came up against better tennis players in their respective final. And how about the achievements now, Catherine? If we have actually look at what both Serena Williams and Rafael Nadal have accomplished this, this week, Rafael Nadal moves level with Roy Emerson, ahead of Bjorn Borg and Rod Laver on 12 Grand Slam titles. He's only two behind Pete Sampras. And how long was Pete Sampras trying to claw his way past Roy Emerson and eventually did it in darkness on the Wimbledon Centre Court in 2000? And meanwhile, you've got Serena Williams, who's now just two Grand Slam titles behind Chris Everton, Martin and Navratilova. She's won 16, one less than Roger Federer. How far are these two going to go? Here's a good prediction competition. How many is Nadal going to end up with? How many is Serena Williams going to end up with? That's tough. I think Nadal has bought himself some time by having this... I know it's only been seven months, but you tend to see people... I think had he not had a break, he could have been, you know, Bjorn Borg-style early retirer from the game. Um, you look at somebody like Tommy Haas, yes, it's incredible that he's playing at 35, but he's had long stretches of injuries throughout his career and you almost feel like that's bought him time to, to play a bit longer. You feel like there's this, you've got a finite amount of time that you can be competing at the top level and you can spread it thinner if you take time out, whether forced or not forced during that period. Um, With Serena, winning is exceptionally easy for her at the moment, whether that is both a reflection, I think, on her greatness and on, unfortunately, women's tennis a little bit. I think that's harsh. Personally, I was having this argument on Twitter last night with people saying, why is it that Roger Federer is so universally revered and he's on 17 slams and yet there's always the, just that slight caveat with everybody when they return, refer to Serena Williams. She's won 16. No, why doesn't she get I'm the saying. credit? Why, why, why? I think she'd still be winning them were the competition stronger, but she is winning them easily. I mean, there is nobody gave any other woman in the draw a chance this week. 
and nobody's giving other wo- any other woman in the draw a chance at Wimbledon. That is different. I think she'd still be winning were there greater competitors, but I, it's the ease with which she's dominating the game. I mean, Rafa and Roger, they've all dominated in what could well be looked upon as the strongest era ever in men's tennis, and I think that's the difference. I'm, and Djokovic not, I'm now. not detracting from Serena's achievement because I think she'd probably still have 16 or very close to. It's just the nature of, of her dominance, I suppose. You didn't ask my, answer my question. How many are they going to end up with? 12 so far for Nadal. He is five behind Roger Federer. Will he overtake Roger Federer in his career, do we think, in Grand Slam titles? Let's not forget, I think we had this conversation about six to eight months ago, and I said that Nadal would win two more Grand Slam titles and they would be both French Opens. Well, he's won one of them. I'm not looking too good here. I don't think he'll overtake Federer because I, I'm not sure he will win any more US Opens, for example, just physically I'm not sure. He looked all right at the Indian Wells tournament. He did but it's the positioning of the US Open in the calendar that makes that he was fresh Indian Wells Um, so to win uh, the five more that he'd need that would be probably three years worth of winning French every year and a Wimbledon or Australian Open I think I don't think it's impossible but I think that's a big ask. I, I I could see him getting to 15 there we go 15 Serena, and Serena? Um, so she's on um, 16 <sighs> blimey I mean she could get to 20 I think she's going to get to 20 comfortably yeah, I think she's I going agree. to break 20 Grand Slam titles I think Nadal having said that he would win two more I'm going to just give myself a little bit more room for manoeuvre I'm going to say he's going to win Another two more from here. So he's going to so get to 14. 14. Yeah, yeah I think 14 or 15. I'll say 15 for the sake of us having a different opinion, but I think that's... Well, I'm saying 21 for Serena Williams then. There you go. Oh. She's coming of age in Grand Slam titles. Oh, well, I, I want to agree with you. And no, you said fair. 20. I said I think she'll get to 20. I say I 22 then. 20. She's saying she's going to okay. win 22. You, you say she's going to win 21. Well, she's better than yeah. that. So I'm going to win. Now, that's the uh, situation at the French Open. Congratulations to both Serena Williams and to Rafael Nadal. Worthy champions, albeit poor old Novak Djokovic. How close did he come against Nadal? He pushed him to the limit, and he really should probably have got over the finish line, he shouldn't should he? Done. He should have done. He should feel really, really gutted. I, As you I, do, having lost all I your do. bragging rights. I think and I hope that he, that loss will hurt him for a long time because he should have won it and a bit harsh isn't it when it's Nadal who's up the other end but yeah, I know what you mean if you're a breaker about Ivan Lendl in 1980 that still keeps 84 Eight, sorry 1984 that still keeps him up at night it does absolutely well we're here at the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club the order of play has just come out we've got a, a cracking draw ahead of us four of the top eight players in the world and Andy Murray will open up against either Nicola Mahu or Ryan Williams of the United States 
potentially cr cracking second round match between Grigor Dimitrov and Leighton Hewitt if they both win through their openers. And they're both in action on day one. We have Dan Evans opening the play as a wild card for Great Britain against Guido Peyer, Pe Pe who I've never seen before. Uh, Ivan Dodig is against James Ward, uh, the British wild card. And then we have Leighton Hewitt against uh, Michael Russell. That's going to be a bit tasty. Two uh, relatively diminutive baseliners, but both great athletes from the baseline. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov then against Dudi Saylor, who had a fantastic win against Andy Roddick here, I remember, a couple of years ago. So it's going to be a good day. First day, Catherine. Yeah, first day. So many Brits in action. Um, and huge interest in Grigor Dimitrov, I think, because grass really is his surface. And he... Well, there's, suddenly there's expectation on him, isn't there? And a very real expectation rather than the sort of he's got to break through at some point expectation. There's actual immediate you should be winning these matches now expectation. Um, so that's going to be very interesting. And uh, Hewitt is very... I mean, I was brought him to interview today and I saw him being interviewed and I thought, well, you're still here, but Andy Roddick's not here. It's very odd being here and Andy Roddick not being around. But Leighton Hewitt is... And uh, he—he's won it four times. He loves it here. He—he he, nobody's ever won it five times. Roddick, Hewitt, McEnroe, Becker—all on four titles. He could—he could be the one. And he's a player now. I think of it that I would put in that Maria Sharapova category of no matter how hopeless, he always believes and really believes in his gut, not just telling himself I have to believe. Yeah, I heard him yesterday on Gary Richardson's Sports Week show on Five Live saying. You know, there's only a handful of guys who can win Wimbledon. And you just knew he thinks he's one of them. Yeah, yeah, and good on him for thinking it. Whether we think he's one of them is utterly irrelevant. Do you think he's one of them? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't either, really. But, he, you know, he did win it in 2002. He's one of those who's won it over the last 11 years. And there's only been a handful of them. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer... Anybody else? Don't think there have been anyone else. If I was dividing, uh, devising the seedings for Wimbledon based on, I, I would rocket him up the rankings in terms of his 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 real prospects. Where would you stick him? Seeded. I, I would probably. Oh yeah, I'd seed him. I'd probably seed him to reach fourth round, maybe. Yeah, I think he could make the quarters. I'm behind you, Leighton. But, but the problem is that he's not seeded, so that so to reach the quarters, in all likelihood, he has to face. You know, well, Some nightmare. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to the Aegon Championship. Starts tomorrow. Hope you do as well. It's uh, on BBC Television and on Eurosport. Do check the, uh, the website to keep up to date there. There are a couple of tickets um, going around for Monday and Tuesday. I think there were a couple of days ago. They may have gone, but you may as well have a little look just, just to see if there's any outstanding. You can still get ground passes as well. Always good to go out onto the outside courts. We've got, Ooh, a, uh, we've got some great doubles out there. Query and Harrison playing together. Uh, Marin Cilic and Juan Martin Del Potro is a doubles partnership here, Catherine. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of the net to those two. It's a very tall, understated doubles partnership, that is, isn't it? Isn't it just? Yeah, absolutely. Well, do come down, watch the, the tennis here at the Aegon Championships at Queen's, and we'll perhaps see you around. I'm the big bloke, by the way. Uh, not, not Cilic or Del Potro, the one who can't play tennis at all. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We do have a big interview for you, and here it is with Tim Henman. I thought, um, you know, the Wimbledon final um, this year was incredible. I, I, I've never, um, I don't think I've sort of sensed as much pressure around a match ever. And I was commentating on it for the BBC. And, and uh, you know, it was obviously the, the sort of the significance of a British player being in the Wimbledon final. It was the first time in uh, 74 years. And, and uh, you know, what a challenge for Andy. It was his third Grand Slam final. Um, he's playing probably the best player that's ever lived. And... And, you know, he went out there and put in a great performance. But at the end of the day, you know, Federer was too good. Um, And he got off to a good start. He he won the first set. And, um, you know, Federer was able to play a couple of amazing games at the end of the second set to get, um, you know, back on level terms. And then the roof was closed. And I think that really did help help Roger. And he went from strength to strength and was able to to win in four. And and, um, it was actually the moments after the match that I think were a big turning point for Andy. He was obviously very emotional in his in his speech afterwards and I think a lot of people suddenly you know looked at him in, in a different light they they saw how much you know it meant to him and how disappointed he was and um, I also thought it just showed you know huge character how he was able to to come back um, four weeks later and in, on the same court against the same player come up with a different result. Yeah do you think that day was a huge turning point for him in terms of I guess the public's understanding of him as a as a he's a complex individual, isn't he? He's not a heart on the sleeve guy. Yeah, he he. Um, I, I think Andy's always one that's um, you know kind of kept his um, you know emotions uh, to himself, and and um, you know people were really able to see it all coming out of him at that stage in the Wimbledon final. But uh, I think they they then were able to see you know how much it really mattered to him, how hard he trains, and how badly he wanted um, that Wimbledon title. So for him to then come back. Um, you know, at a home games in uh, in in London for the Olympics, and and uh, to respond the way that he did, 
um, to beat Federer in straight sets, um, you know, on the centre court of Wimbledon and win Olympic gold, it, it doesn't doesn't get much better than that. And the U.S. Open final, his first major. Um, I guess you would have been up in the middle of the night watching that, like uh, many other Brits across the country. Um, talk me through your thought processes at the various. Uh, Stages of yeah, match. it was. I mean, the the U.S. Open final was uh, again, um, you know, an amazing match, and um, I, I think a hard match for for Andy mentally. I think you know, in his fourth Grand Slam final, I think you know, obviously, it would have been very easy to sort of focus on the, the consequences of that match, win or lose, and, and um, I think he did such a good job of, of coming out and, and uh, you know, winning, winning the first set on the tiebreak, I think it was huge, and, um, but to be up two sets to love, you know, the job's still not done, and against Djokovic with his, you know, mental and physical fortitude, um, he wasn't going to go away, and, and um, I was, you know, up in the middle of the night watching that match, and, and uh, I felt that, you know, Djokovic could get back into it. I, I didn't feel the job was done for Andy, but I never at any stage felt that Andy wasn't going to win. And, um, you know, even at, at two sets all, um, you know, Andy went away for a toilet break and obviously gave himself a bit of a talking to. And, and I think the early part of the fifth was, was crucial for him to stamp his authority and regain the momentum. And, and um, you know, it's just an unbelievable achievement for, for him to win his first slam and I think thoroughly deserved. That's very interesting that you say uh, there was never a point where you doubted that he was going to win. At two sets all there, he's, he's just lost a two sets lead. Mm. He's lost his four previous Grand Slam finals. Mm. Is that the, the biggest test for a... It is, yeah. I think it's a, it was a huge test of character. But um, if you reflect over you know, his career, there have been so many question marks sort of put against Andy. You know, is he, is he physically capable? Is he mentally capable? And, and uh, you know, it was Djokovic at the end of that end of that match that was needing the uh, you know the injury timeouts and you know Andy I think looked um, fresher um, physically I, th I think he's in such incredible shape and I think all that you know all that training and all that hard work that have been put in away from the tournaments paid off and, and um, you know there was I'm sure a, you know huge sense of relief for him to get that first Grand Slam title because I think he's always believed that he was going to win one one day um, for me I've always felt that he was going to win more than that I think uh, you know he can go on and win many Grand Slams but I, I also felt that the first one was perhaps going to be the hardest and now he's got that under his belt I really think he can kick on from here I want to ask you a few questions about your career now you're here at the Albert Hall mm. you're playing uh, a, another rematch against uh, against Goran on Saturday yeah when you see him do you think I know you're you're great mates, yeah, and uh, yeah. there's uh, there's no ill feeling there. Sure. But do you sometimes think, God, you needed that more than I needed that? I mean, you're absolutely fine. You know, <laughs> you're, everything's turned out fine for you, Goran. If he hadn't won Wimbledon yeah. that year, yeah. do you think he would be absolutely fine? Um, I, I think if he'd have lost in the final, um, then yeah, to have been in that would have been his fourth Wimbledon final that he'd have lost in. Um, I'm not so sure he would have been able to cope with that. But um, on the other side of the coin, that's the beauty of sport. You know, that's why we play. That's why people watch because there are no scripts. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. And, and um, you know, I, I look back on, I, I, I seldom reflect on any of my matches, if I'm honest. But um, certainly 2001, the semi-final, it's not something that I, you know, really think about a great deal. You know, when I see Goran. Um, you know, the first thing that I think of is there's a really good mate of mine that that I um, enjoy competing against on the tour. And then obviously, you know, that match um, played over three days. There was so much history there. But, uh, um, you know, if I if I had lots of regrets 
um, then I think I would think differently. I, I had many disappointments in my career, but no, no regrets. I know that, you know, whenever I was on the court, whether I was training or practicing, I gave 100%, and that's, you can't ask for more than that. And, um, you know, when I look back at, you know, whether it's Wimbledon or the other tournaments that I played and the events that I won, um, you know, I'm really proud of what I was able to achieve. How often do you think about that, that semi-final, honestly? Honestly, I would say I probably... Uh, I mean, I would, if I thought about it ten times a year, I'd be, I'd be surprised. I, I don't... Um, I, I think that now, you know, again, with my family and my life moving on, and, um, you know, I, I still have, you know, really fond memories of, of, of my tennis and, and amazing memories of Wimbledon, and that is still one of them, you know, to have, to have been a part of that... Uh, um, that tournament and, and that match and um, you know beating Federer the round before um, you know I, I, I look back on it with so many good memories I, th I think there are a lot of other people that um, you know really sort of struggle with um, that semi-final in 2001 obviously with the rain coming after um, after the, uh, the beginning of the fourth set when I was obviously dominating the match um, you know, for me, there were so many matches where it rained and it helped me out. You know, on that day, it didn't help me out. But uh, again, I'm not someone that really, you know, dwells on the, on the past. I'm more sort of, you know, living for the moment and um, hopefully looking forward to the future. We've obviously got to know you won the Champions Tour and everything. And we know that you're sort of, you're nothing like sort of what you would portray <laughs> to be in, in the press throughout your career. Can yeah. you honestly say that that, that that never really got to you, that you were sort of underappreciated I guess in many ways well I don't know if I was I mean um, you know I think the support that I had um, you know playing in in all the events around the world but specifically at Wimbledon you know the support I had was was incredible I could have never have you know dreamt of that growing up um, for me you know the way that I dealt with the press I think was my defense mechanism you know I'm not a person that likes you know any extra attention and and um, you know, if if I was guilty of um, if I was guilty of giving the the right answer rather than the honest answer, then you know if that was my um, you know if that was my biggest fault dealing with the me uh, media, then you know I, ca I can live with that. But uh, uh, I also appreciated that you know it wasn't a popularity contest. You know, it wasn't going to make me necessarily a better player, and I wanted to just you know try and make my life as easy as possible and and give myself the best chance of um, you know focusing on on my job, which was. You know, to go out and perform to the to the best of my ability. So, I, th I think it's probably fair that there, you know, there are slightly two different people. There was this, um, you know, public persona where I was pretty controlled and and pretty measured in in what I said and and the way I I acted. But um, yeah, there probably is a a slightly different person, um, you know, away from that. Do you see similarities with with Murray there? Do you have sympathy with him there? That you know, he's just doing what he needs to do to to be the best tennis player that he can be, and it seems that perhaps less since that Wimbledon final, but it seems that the public is sort of wanting something from him. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a very difficult balancing act because, um, um, you know, he, he's very honest to himself. And, and uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, from the media and the public's point of view, you want someone to be honest. You don't want them someone to be trying to be a person that they're not. And uh, again, Andy's, you know, he's not in a popularity contest. He just wants to get out there and, and be as good as he can be. And, and he's certainly doing that. But I think when you reflect on, you know, him losing in the Wimbledon final and that emotion, you know, really pouring out of him, I think people were then able to see that there is a, another side to him. And I think they, you know, probably warmed to him even more. And, and uh, I think, you know, that's, that's good going forward. I think, um, you know, there's more support that he can have, the better. I think the support that he's always had is, has been very good. But, um, you know, I think if he can continue to have that 
type of support, uh, you know, year in, year out, then, um, you know, that bodes well for the future. One of the things that I'm quite interested to know what you think the, the best achievement of your career is, because when I think about it, I, I think about your semi-final at the French in 2004. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what an achievement that is um, for a... For a Grass court players, yeah. have, and you came. You were set mm. up against Korea yeah, was, in yeah. that match. Yeah. What, what do you see as the highlight? I, I think, um, yeah, it's, I, I find it difficult to sort of really pinpoint um, one specific area because I look at um, I look at my results at Wimbledon and my overall consistency, and you know, being in in four semis and. Um, four quarterfinals over a sort of nine, ten-year period. Um, I look at winning the Masters series in, in Paris. The, the people I beat, you know, um, that week I beat um, Davidenko and Grosjean, um, Guga and Federer, Roddick. So the, the people I beat, you know, was a lot of great players. And then to finish it off um, by winning the tournament was very, very special. But I think in terms of um, the sort of unexpected result, I would definitely say the French Open semi-final. I was. Uh, you know, I was a real novice on, on clay, really, when I, I started my career because I hadn't played a great deal of clay court tennis. And I remember my first match on the tour in, in, uh, in Monte Carlo when I played Gallo Blanco. And, and uh, I've never been so happy to get four games in a match. I lost 6-2, 6-2, but I felt it could have been a lot worse than that. And, and um, I think that was in um, sort of 90, maybe 96, 97. Um, so to go forward... Um, six or seven years and then suddenly to be in the semis of the French you know beating some good clay court players along the way that's again something that I look back on and you know really proud about yeah last question um, I want to ask you about Federer you're yeah. a good friend of his yeah so much speculation in tennis at the moment about how long he's he's going to go on for yeah. because he's already incredible to be doing what he's doing at 31 but sure. he is human yeah just about He's talked about going on to, to the Rio Olympics. Um, he, he's definitely got a gold medal. That's definitely mm. on his on his checklist. Yeah. But could you see Federer continuing if if he just drops off a little? If he's not in the top three mm. or four, could you see Federer? Well, competing? it's 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 one of those things that no one knows. Um, you know, Federer doesn't know. He has hopes and, and expectations, but. Uh, you know, is he going to win a Grand Slam next year? Is he going to stay in the top five? We don't know. That's that's why he plays, and that's why we watch. Um, I, I think for me, there's there's almost too much speculation about it. I think he's the best player that's ever lived, and and we should hope and, and encourage him to play as long as possible because uh, you know it's just been amazing to see what he's achieved and and the way that he's gone about it. So um, you know, if we can get another you know few years out of him and. You know, let's hope it is through to you know Rio in 2016. It would it would be fantastic. But you know, if at the end of uh, 2013 he feels that he doesn't want to play anymore, then you know he's earned the right to make that decision. But um, you know, only time will tell. And um, the challenges I think get harder for him as as he gets older. It's obviously um, you know his competition is just going to get better and better. Uh, it, it certainly gets harder to you know, maintain that that physical and, and mental sharpness, but. If anyone can, um, I think Federer can. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.